everyone, and uh, welcome to our sixth episode of the Middle-Aged Band Club. We've had a bit of a hiatus as we all journey through our COVIDian times, um, but happy to have you here with us. The topic for today is relationships, uh, and specifically relationships for middle-aged men. All right. Um, Gareth, you had to find a good quote to kick us off here. Yeah, it's... uh... You know, just thinking about the frame for a conversation on relationships in midlife, and 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 in particular, I mean, when we're talking about relationships in midlife, we're typically, you know, not talking about the cases in which everything's hunky dory, but uh, looking at the situations in which, you know, you might be experiencing some turbulence. Um, and this quote kind of speaks to what might be going on for some men in midlife uh, as they're navigating their current relationship. So with men in, at midlife, a similar balance between restraints, limits, and exploration is needed as issues of freedom, autonomy, and self-definition from adolescence are reworked. Mastery and opportunity come from self-exploration, not outward rebellion. The key is recognizing that the protest is, in, is an internal conflict over constraints and self-perceptions internalized in the past, creating an internal divide. And that's that's a lot to unpack. It is. I, I, you sent that to me and I had to, I, I had to do exactly that. And I, I got two bullets out of it. Um, one is, uh, midlife is an exploration of freedom, autonomy, and self-definition. I like that. Cause it's, it's, uh, we don't explore these things necessarily, or if we do, we do them very early on in life. And it seems like we're coming back to it. Right. So like, what, what is that breadth of freedom that I actually have? How much autonomy do I actually have? And have I thought about self-definition? And then the second one, second piece of that that I really liked was that the self-definition is not a rebellion. Um, and I think that the this, the rebellious self-definition is is the, if you will, the uh, midlife crisis um, that's that's epitomized by convertibles and young ladies. Um, I think what it says in there is that self-definition, which isn't rebellion, le- leads to mastery. And I think that those are those were the two things I pulled out of it. Yeah, and I think what's kind of cool about it is, you know, when you, if if you think about you know your first exposure to freedom, autonomy, and kind of self definition in adolescence, you know the the time the the circumstances under which you're kind of getting all that freedom, autonomy, it's kind of freedom and autonomy from your parents, right? I mean, at that point mm-hmm. in time, you're able to make more decisions. You know, your you know your curfew has been extended. You know, you you may have a side job or you got an allowance or something like that. And, uh, and, and the process of growing up is one in which you're given greater and greater autonomy until you, you know, eventually leave home. And what this quote kind of says to me is that in a very similar way in midlife, you know, you're, there's a new opportunity as it were to redefine, you know, your freedom, autonomy, and self-definition. But the, but the difference here is rather than your, you know, the, your adolescent situation, which your parents are giving you a you know, a bunch more freedom. Now what's likely happened is you found a relative degree of independence as you probably have, you know, you've worked for, you know, a significant period of your life. You probably have some degree of financial independence, even if you have debt and whatever else. I mean, um, regardless, um, you know, you've got more stability in your job and a bunch of other things. And so, you know, the, what these life changes bring about is kind of a new opportunity where you've got, you know, more stability and, and a new opportunity to think about, you know, what you want to do with your newfound stability and your newfound opportunity, whether that's financial opportunity or what have you. And so it's, it's, so instead of though being it kind of a rebellion, like you are as an adolescent rebelling against your parents to kind of forge your individuality, 
now at the you know the stage of midlife it's 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 less focused on rebelling against something and more focused on you know kind of a self-development a mastery of some sort instead now that makes a lot more sense than uh, than the convertible <laughs> that i had in my mind um so with that said i i think you know what, what we want to talk about today is is uh, speak to the men in relationships um uh, if uh, if if you're not in a relationship, this I think this is these are good notes and and pointers, uh, if you will, sort of take it from take it from a lot of those who have been in relationships to to uh, see, you know where where they can go. But ultimately, what we want to talk to uh, is um, you know how men feel in relationships, and and if you think about it, there's there's only a few scenarios that you can be in if we roll this up. So either you're in a relationship and you're happy, which is, which is, which is amazing. You could be in a relationship and you're happy, but maybe a little insecure about what could happen. You're in a relationship and you're not happy, uh, or you're in a relationship and you're just not happy together with your partner for, for whatever reason. Is there any you'd add in there? Gareth, does that? No, I think that I, uh, I, I think that captures it, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's always two sides to the relationship and there's how you're feeling and how your partner's feeling and uh, you're either in sync or you're not. Um, and there's kind of two different ways of being out of sync, right? You know, one of you being happy and the other the other person not being happy. Yeah, this, that makes sense to me, man. Um, that the, the one person being happy, the other person being unhappy, there's a, I think you said this earlier, which is this idea that um, everything is, you know, you can last a long time in a relationship so long as both of you don't fall out of love at the same time. Um, yeah, it's a fan, it's it's this fantastic quote. I don't even know where it comes from. I mean, in my in my head, I remember it like it was when Harry met Sally or something like that. Well, there's a there's a scene somewhere in the movie where they where they do interviews with older people about their relationships. I think it might have come from that, and I haven't had time to to double check it. But but it's a cool idea, right? I mean, it if, you know fundamentally it it kind of breaks the idea that everything needs to be perfect all the time. I mean, you hear about these couples who've been in relationships their entire lives and never had a fight. That's never been my experience. And I, and I, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not the experience of the vast majority of people out there. And it kind of sets a really unrealistic kind of goal to strive for. And so once you let go of this idea that you, you know, that you need to have perfection every day, then it comes down to the dynamics in the relationship. And so, so the, what the quote that kind of quote speaks to is you know, a relationship can work as long as you don't fall out of love at the same time, right? Because, you know, everybody's heard the line, relationships take work. Well, they, they take work from different people or different different sides of the relationship at different parts of time. And as long as somebody's putting in the work uh, when the other person isn't, you can keep it together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know what? And if you think about it, we touched on this, I think, in earlier podcasts. I mean, we were talking to the limbic system and how we experience feelings in a relationship you know the English language is limited when we talk about love or right. lust, but but ultimately, um, you know, within about thirty six months of a relationship, sort of those feelings of lustfulness begin to wane, and they're replaced by more of the oxytocin type responses, which make you feel more comfortable with the other individual, and you sort of fall right. into a mature love. So, perhaps in the first three years, you know, you you can uh, you can, and many do, uh, just kind of fall on that those lustful feelings. Um, to, to hold things together. But once those begin to wane, then, then you're into the real stuff where you, as you said, have to work at it. 
Yeah, and I don't think it's an either or. Uh, you know, you'll hear relationship advice like, you know, spice it up. Um, you know, and you'll you know, some people will engage in things like um, kind of role playing where you know they'll go out to a bar and you know pretend to pick each other up again um, for the first time. So, so you know, so you know, there are things that you can do to try to get the lust back if that becomes a really important feature of a relationship for you. Um, but you're, you're also right that, you know, there's something that's really kind of awesome about, you know, the deeper stages of a relationship, you know, where, where you do have some of that comfort as well. Um, you know, presumably as long as it's not taken for granted and, you know, you know, you're still looking out for the interests of your partner at the same time. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, um, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a lot of men out there who are at a, at a point, especially in midlife where they're trying to make a decision um, in terms of their, in terms of their relationship. And so there's, so let, let's talk a little bit to that. Cause I think those, that's where the things get a little bit more, um, complicated or, or, or sophisticated. So, um, before we get into that, there's, um, there's a book and I'll post it and we'll post it in the, uh, on the page that talks about, um, it's a book for women about what men need. And I found this to be very, very interesting because, um, I think the book actually might have some religious under, undertones. I'm not sure, but but the uh, but this was these were sort of psychological needs of men, um, which at least re- resonated with me. Maybe not all, but many. Um, and uh, so let me just whip through them, and we can you can tell me if any sound interesting. This one, the first one, is probably my most interesting one, which is that men need respect, and men would rather feel unloved than inadequate. So you'd rather just be by yourself and feel whole than be in a relationship where you feel inadequate. I, I, I guess I can, I, I don't know if I could relate to it, but I, I, I could, I could sense that, yeah, I could, I could, I could see how that could happen. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, it's not, you know, as, as I hear it, I mean, that you can imagine people listening, there'd be a tendency to kind of force a, a false dichotomy on this one. And, and, you know, I don't think it's a question of whether or not you want to be loved or respected, and whether or not that's kind of a, a gender difference or something like that. Um, it, it really comes as a matter of degree, right, to really get to the point. And so, you know, when it comes to the weight of feeling loved, uh, whatever that means, and feeling respected, whatever that means, you know, you know, the the default settings for men seem to be, seem to be just a little bit higher where, where respect, and again, we'd have to unpack that. I mean, you know, uh, does respect mean compliance or complicitness well you mean that's that's a sense of respect and i and i don't think that's the one that really matters at least that's not one that resonates with me um but it's it's you know certainly the kind of basic human respect of you know being heard having one's opinions matter um you know being being spoken to in a way that's nice i think that's you know that's something that matters to everybody obviously um but when it comes to comparing that though how how high that's ranked for the average guy versus, uh, you know, let's say, you know, uh, a woman, um, you know, there might be a calibration difference, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we're, I think it, as, as we've done in the past, I mean, we're, we'll talk about the things that we're more familiar with, um, which is men. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the feeling, but, but uh, we'll come back to the respect thing. Cause I think that's an important one. Yeah. Uh, in, in relationships. So a couple more here, men are insecure despite their in control exterior. Men often feel like imposters. Um, again, I don't, I don't think this is like the checklist that says, you know, yeah, I'm all of these things, but you know, maybe this, maybe these things resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is an important one. Um, men are providers. So uh, even if you personally make enough income to support the family, it would make no difference to the mental burden uh, of, an, of a man. So the idea is that we, we have this, what seems to be, and I, and I hesitate to use this term because it carries a lot of weight with it, but uh, an innate need to provide. Um, and that can be through a job. Uh, or that can be in other ways. There's a great example of, you know, the, the, the man working late, you know, gets home to the family and their partner says, well, I guess you don't, I guess you don't really like me very much because you'd rather be at work. And, and the, and the irony there is it, the extra time at work in many cases is actually the demonstration that you care about the family. Um, so that's a, to me, that's a, that's an important one. And I, one I can relate to. Yeah, and I'm just—I was just thinking about this kind of, you know. I, I think a lot of these will resonate with a lot of people. I mean, the the idea that men are providers seems to be fairly well supported by, by some of the sociological data I, I remember seeing in the past, suggesting that you know, on average, there's there's a greater chance that a man will have a problem if his partner makes more than him, uh, than than not, right? So, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or vice versa. And so, you know, that seems to be a pretty, pretty hardwired thing. I mean, well, I shouldn't say hardwired. I want, I want to choose my language carefully here. Because um, what's interesting about this is that, you know, these capture certain, you know, you might want to call them stereotypes. And uh, and stereotypes, just because something's a stereotype doesn't mean it's not true. Um, and that's, that's an important thing to point out. So uh, so these are stereotypes that I think that do capture a lot of people. But, but when you think about the solution space, I just want to throw something out there as a trial balloon. You can, you know, just just buy into this because it's conceivable that these things aren't innate. This idea that you need to provide, I mean, you know, you can either have that need met, right? That's one solution. Or you can question the desire and find other ways uh, or, or other ways to, to address the issue as well. Just want to throw that out there. Sort of to no, it's, it's, it's a great point. I mean, you can, it, you know, back to the nature nurture debate, debate yeah. right? I mean, are, have we seen enough time magazines that tell us that, you know, you got to be wealthy <laughs> uh, to be successful and therefore did it, did it come down and therefore we believe that that's our role. Good. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a couple, a couple other things here, and and again, I'll I'll, I'll post the book here because you, so you can read about these. It's a it's a short little book, and I think it's it's interesting. There is also, by the way, a companion book for men about women, which um, which may be interesting to to some. Um, if uh, and I'll and I'll post that as well. So uh, another one here is uh, men avoid issues by checking out, um, and really what this means is that men address issues by by going away to think about things, right? They're not going to be in the moment. They're going to have to process stuff. Um, and I think that sometimes can be perceived as running away, but it isn't running away. It's just withdrawing to think. And I can certainly relate to this, you know, yeah. for, for heavy, heavy topics. I'm like, I, you know, I can't in the moment, th- you know, rationalize some stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm going to go away and I'll tell you tomorrow morning. Yeah, I think that one's really good as well. I mean, I, I, it resonates with me. Uh, I think the only thing I would I, I'd be interested in kind of exploring um, is how much of that is you know the extrovert introvert side of it as well. I mean, I'm certainly I'm I'm social, but I'm a social introvert, and uh, and I can't I you know when it comes to heavy conversations, I can't deal with much in the moment. I need you know I need time to process, need to step away, need to digest what's going on, formulate my thoughts, come back and. 
and yep. uh, and and try again. So yeah, it, for sure, this resonates with me. Exactly, and 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 I think I think the, the 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 piece to pull out of this is sometimes this comes across as um, you know men not wanting to engage or think about it um, or withdrawing, and that's just not the case. It's just we have a different approach to dealing with these things. Yeah, and 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 you know, it, it reminded me of something. Um, and as we were reading through some of these, uh, I was remembering this this this. I don't know if it's a stereotype or not, but this classic situation in which you know uh, your partner uh, and it's, if your partner's a woman will be sharing a, an issue that they have, a problem they have with something, and and you know the man's instinct is to provide a solution. Which uh, leads to all sorts of trouble because you know, as as you may or may not have learned, not every one of these conversations is a conversation where the person's looking for a solution. They're sharing their feelings, and what they want is for you to engage in this moment, this this, this act of intimacy by sharing the sharing your feelings as well, or commiserating as well. And I think a lot of guys get the don't get that signal um, when they're in those conversations and end up getting into a, into a a lot of hot water <laughs> because they're trying to. They're trying to provide a, a, a solution instead. Um, you're, you're very, you're very right, and that's just you know that's just what we do, right? We we try to fix stuff. Well, it's broken. You're not feeling well. What's wrong? What can I do? Uh, and I think the the empathy sympathy component there is uh, is just as important. I mean, if we if we if we touch on some of these, um, you know, if, if we if we look at the uh, example of women as partners, um, there is a handful of things I think that that uh, that are relevant. Um, again, these actually come from that companion book that I was mentioning to. Um, so one is exactly what you said. Don't fix, listen. Um, if, uh, if it seems, and I, and frankly, this, this applies to men equally, but if there's something that seems difficult to figure out, like if, you know, there's some emotional response and just doesn't seem logical or rational, there's usually something underneath it and it just takes a while to, to get to it. Um, and, and, you know, you yourself or they themselves may not even know. Um, what that is. Um, the other one is this this idea of security. This this topic comes up on both sides so often, and I don't think this is limited to to women. But you know, women do seek some level of security, and that security isn't just how thick the wallet is. You know, can you provide? I think that's emotional security, right? And emotional security mm-hmm. is, is is stability and frankly predictable predictability. Um, yeah, my my guess is. Uh, my guess is that most men dramatically overestimate or misunderstand um, because of their own feelings about the need to provide. I, I, I think there's kind of a false attribution error there in which men think because it's such an important thing for them that it's that it, that it quite naturally is an important thing for their partner. And I, right. I, and I bet you'd be surprised that the that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of partners out there, men and women. Um, who have a much higher degree of tolerance for blurring some of the boundaries here around men's views of themselves and what, and what their partners are looking for, um, than men actually think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're very right. Um, the last item on that list I think worth mentioning is, is, is this idea of, of, uh, how women show, um, their feelings. And right. there's a, there's a, there's a good book I'll, I'll mention, um, called uh, uh, The Languages of Love or Love Languages um, that talks about some of this, which is this whole idea that the way that you express something may be a little bit different, right? You may um, do this through action, right? I mowed the lawn for you. I um, cleaned the house for you, right? As, as that is being an act of me showing 
um, how much I care. Alternatively, right. it could be, you know, I bought you something. Um, it could be, I made time for you. It could be, you know, I held your hand. Everyone has a different way. And, and again, this is where you have a little bit of this Venus, Mars, mm-hmm. um, coming in, which is very much like cats and dogs. You just have a different way of communicating, uh, something that can be, that can be misconstrued. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just flag something there. Cause I think this is going to come back up later on. Cause I think it's a, a super deep insight. Um, to the extent that those things come apart or that our assumptions are wrong about, you know, a particular social situation or, or the ways in which we share love or what somebody really means when they're, when they're, when they're doing something, whether it's, you know, you know, buying a gift or, or, or what have you, the fact that those things come apart just at that stage right there mean, you know, there is this kind of divide and this is where that, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of mindset seems to come from, um, there's a huge opportunity for misunderstanding. And, I, and I, I'm guessing that, you know, whatever, I don't know what percentage, but like some, some, some segment of relationship problems can be solved just through better communication by, by, by understanding what somebody means when they say certain things or when they act in a certain way. 100%. And, and let me give you a, an anonymized example from a good friend of mine um, who had gone to counseling. And this is one of those things that they had. And, and, and by the way, just, just to caveat the, the whole counseling thing, Counseling isn't something for people whose uh, relationship or marriage is on the rocks. Um, it can be a very constructive and healthy exercise for for anybody. And, l- and let me give you the example of what happened to this friend of mine is um, they would go in every once in a while and they had a spat at one point and they brought in, they brought the spat in and discussed it. And so it essentially went something like this. He said, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be late because um, I'm taking a client out. So, um, so I'll be home late. And, uh, his wife's like, okay, great. So I'll see you later. Um, and then he gets home at midnight and, uh, she reads in the riot act. What do you get? What are you doing home this late? And he says, well, I told you I was going to be late. Perfect example. When he said <laughs> late, she thought nine 30. And I don't know where that number came from. Maybe it was, maybe it was a, you know, it was a trend where late, you know, traditionally he came back at nine 30, but she, in her mind thought nine 30. He, of course, in his mind meant 12. And so in his mind, he's stuck to his word. He, maybe he even left the event early to say, sorry, guys, I told <laughs> right. my wife I'd be home late, but not too late, so I'm leaving now. Right. So it was a great example of all they had to say is instead of using the word late, just to say midnight and 9.30, and it would have avoided the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. But it was just... It was Perfect just funny. Perfect metaphor, guess, yeah. <laughs> just, it was just funny the way that you know, he explained the story when they are sitting you know, beside each other at this counseling session, looking at each other like, what? What do you mean nine thirty? That's not late, you know. And it was just, it, you know, exactly to to your point. Oh, I think it's amazing. I mean, it's it's like the it's the perfect example for every single relationship problem you have. You know, the first question that you should probably ask is whether or not there's a miscommunication going on. Are you talking about the word late and not interpreting it, you know, accurately? And 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 that suggests a straightforward next step, which is you know, a talk more and b sort out the ambiguities and, 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 and be a bit more careful about, about how you communicate. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So let's, let's move on. We, um, we talked about, um, uh, you know, being in a relationship where, where things may not be ideal. So let, let me get a few things out of the way. These are, these are my, my views, or one of them is certainly my view. The other one is, has, has some scientific research behind it. So one is there's no such thing as a soulmate. I think there's people with whom we're very compatible. Um, but this idea that there's the one person, um, and, you know, 
maybe maybe there is but to really to be sure that we are with our soulmate in theory we'd have to survey you know a potential of mates from around the world um so it, it, it to me is just you know when you find someone that's you found someone that you're compatible with that you can spend some time or a lifetime with but that's the term soulmate kind of bothers me statistically speaking well, yeah, I mean, imagine this, like, and this is, you know, I'm going to be bringing in kind of the, the, <laughs> the cold, unfeeling world of science to, to, to try to understand, you know, unpack that claim of what a soulmate is. Because I think it's particularly destructive, in, in particular, when it comes to setting expectations about how a relationship should work and, and, and what you can come to expect from a partner. Um, if you, if your standard is perfection, if your standard is a soulmate, this person, this, the, the person who's the perfect key to your lock, um, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, you get to have all, you're born with all of these preferences or you develop all these preferences in the course of your life. And now magically out there in a world of, you know, whatever number of billions of people, there's this magical person who happens to not just have all the features that you want, but also happens to walk in the same social circles as you such that you'll be lucky enough to bump into them and happen to start a relationship with them um, in in due time. I mean, it's, the, the whole idea is just kind of ridiculous, right? Um, so yeah, as you said, divine intervention aside, that is an unlikely, unlikely scenario. So I, I think we agree that the soulmate thing is, is, uh, is not a, is not a thing. And, and this is important, as you said, because it gets back into this idea and we're going to get into this about how these things are going to take work. Yeah. Um, the second part uh, comes from, and, and we, we reference this book a lot, um, the Harvard study, which is a, one of the long, longest longitudinal studies of men aging. Um, and triumphs of experience is the book, and and what they what they looked at there was to see do people change or do people not change over time? Because we track people up until the age of twenty one to show progress through adolescence, and everything is growing up until you're twenty one, right? You're physically growing, you're mentally growing, you're maturing, everything is changing, and then everyone's like, "Well, great, you're an adult, nothing changes." But that's not true. Right. The slope of the curve changes, the change is slower, but you never stop changing. And there's a myriad of examples in this book of people who were bullies who turned out to be the nicest people in the world and those who were the nicest people in the world who t- turned out to be curmudgeon The point is you change. So, so imagine now you're in a relationship with someone that you've been in for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. It's not the same two people sitting across from the table, uh, across from one another at the table, right? You're not the same two people. You're, you have a lot of the same, you know, traits um and looks and so on but you're you you're you may not be exactly the same two people that met at that bar 25 years ago yeah and let me let me just tag in on that and so you'll hear the expression you know people grow together or people grow apart and you know one of the things i kind of i want to blow up a little bit is this idea that that you know this change that you're absolutely the way that you describe is absolutely perfect um a change is a fact of life um one of the few constants is change and uh and and in a relationship you know both people are changing in time but that change isn't exactly purely deterministic and what i mean by that is that you know it's not the case that you have your trajectory and your partner has their trajectory and then you either you either end up together or you end up apart and it's just a matter of luck whether or not that happens you know to 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 think of it that way you know, kind of abdicates you of responsibility for things that for, for the degree of control that you do have over 
your relationship and the way in which you change. And I want to we're going to come back to that later on, but I just think it's important to to understand that you know you're not a passive agent in life. You know the the, traje- the trajectory of your life you know, is in part a result of the choices that you're making as well. And so so you don't want to just say, well, we just grew apart. I mean, well, yeah, you grew apart, but there's some choices in there as well, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think that's that's the segue, I think, into the next section, which really talks about these unrealistic goals and, and the visions of where you're going to end up, right? Like, it, it, this is all going to take work. So so let's talk about that. And, and let's sort of, you know, push this and say, and answer the question of should I stay or should I go? Um, so if you're not happy or if you're not happy together, um, you know, this is something we'll think about. Something This will cross our minds and what happens at midlife because we're challenging some of these beliefs around autonomy and, and, you know, what our actual, um, area of influence is these sorts of things come up. So, uh, a few things to talk about here, Let, let's start with respect. Cause we, we touched on that one, uh, earlier about respect in a relationship. Yeah. So I think, you know, when it comes to a successful relationship, you know, there are things that we might want to call just table stakes, you know, things that just have to be there to be in the game in the first place. Um, and so, you know, respect is one of those things. And, and, and even though we talk about, you know, men may have, you know, a preference for respect, you know, when, if, if it comes to how they're going to wait the loss of one or the other, they would, they would much lose love before they lost respect as it were. Um, but, but, and, and and so so for men certainly that's that's a key thing that they need to have in the relationship. But I think it's something that everybody needs to have in the relationship as well. And so you know certainly if you're if you're in a situation where you know you you know, you're not treating each other with the appropriate amount of care, you're you know you're not respecting the other person's opinions. You know you're not respecting the other person's feelings. You know that's clearly not a strong foundation for moving forward. And, and, uh, and I'm sure there's all sorts of ways in which you might justify that, but I mean, that's a, certainly a symptom that things aren't going very well if you aren't respecting each other. Exactly. Right. And, and, um, I mean, there's, there's variation here in terms of, you know, how, how you respect each other and what that respect is, but ultimately that's it. I mean, it, it's a, it's a two-way street. Um, and this is, this is important because in a lot of cases, we'll look at this one way only, right? We'll look at it as, you know, perhaps we're a victim who doesn't get respect or, or, you know, we'll look at it the other way where we don't provide sufficient respect. So this is, this is a two way street. We both have to be respected. Um, and it's perfectly, I think, legitimate to, to, um, demand respect in a long-term relationship. And then conversely, we have to make sure that we are also uh, giving that which we seek, right? If if we demand respect, we should be giving the same to to our partner. So that's um, so I think that's that's sort of the 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 key one. Um, the other one is um, uh, is around fit. Um, and I, and I like I like this. You again, we we seem to be getting back to statistics a lot here, right? But I <laughs> I think this is the one where you were talking about you know do the likes outweigh the dislikes mm-hmm. yeah i mean once so once you've given up on the idea that that there's this perfect lock and key you know the reality is is that there's going to you know there are going to be things in your relationship that you know you have to tolerate as it were i mean and and if any, anybody who's shuddering at the word tolerate or or tolerance is probably probably needs to take a step back and and and, and think about their own perspective in their relationship because I think tolerance is is kind of a key feature of a successful relationship in the following way. I mean, so so if you're if you're not if we already 
agree that you're not going to like everything or, or everything's not going to be perfect in your relationship, then, then, then how do you figure out whether or not you still have a good fit? Well, you know, there's, there's a, there's a quote, I'm forgetting the, the specific wording on this, but essentially, you know, it's, it's the things that you like outweigh the things that you don't, don't like, and they outweigh them to a large enough extent um, that being in the relationship is being in this particular relationship is, is, is way better than any of the alternatives, um, that are out there. And again, that, you know, when you say any of the other alternatives, if those are, those alternatives can't be your idealized fantasy because, you know, <laughs> that grass let's, is yeah, green. Let's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's, yeah, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to definitely get into the idealized, but, but you're, but, but f- finish your thought then on, on, on that, and then we'll get into the ideals. Yeah, no, I, I, I just, I, th- I think it's that simple. I mean, I think, um, you know, you, you learn to, you learn to tolerate the certain things in a relationship, uh, but on the whole, the things that you like about the relationship are so good that, that even, even using the word tolerate probably doesn't, is probably isn't even capturing the right essence of right. the, the well, experience. Exactly. It's, 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 it's more like acceptance, right? That yeah. you accept, you accept these things for what they are. Um, and interestingly, I mean, there's a, there's a good story. There's a friend of mine who was, um, bit of a bit of a neat freak and then he met this girl and she was amazing but she would leave toothpaste in the sink and normally <laughs> and, and and normally he would be he would be apoplectic about this but this time he's like you know what hey it's okay you know it's kind of cute she lives she leaves toothpaste in the sink and they got married and they had kids and everything is great um but you know 15 years on she leaves toothpaste in the sink and it's driving him crazy <laughs> Hey, um, people change, right? I mean, you know, and that default setting never changed in him, and uh, and his ability to tolerate right. it. I mean, has that's, changed. That's it. And so, exactly, that's exactly right. But this is a, that's a great example of yeah, it's going to drive you crazy. But I mean, that's a, that's a and and then I'm sure you know people are like, well, that's a trivial one. It is a trivial one, but it but it makes a point, right? Where you can look at this and you can say this is not a big deal because I think what we tend to do. And we'll get to this idealization. What we tend to do is on two sides. One, we idealize. And on the other side, we, we pack on, right? We yeah. load on to something. So we're like, well, you know, and I, I don't get respect. And, and, it, and, uh, and you know what? And, and there's toothpaste in the sink. And, right? and all of a sudden, these, these things may appear to be material as you're loading on to the argument. But yeah. ultimately, they're not. So to finish that thought, acceptance. And there's an acceptance both ways, right? I like you warts and all, you know, every, you, you know, there's all of these wonderful things. And then you have these vices that drive me crazy, but you know what? That's such a small portion that, uh, so long as we have an agreement on this, we're okay. You know, I get it. You have to burp and fart. That's okay. Don't do it at the table. Don't do it in the bedroom. The rest of the house is yours. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, so let's talk about idealization because this one is, uh, um, this is uh, this is a big problem, and I think this a, a lot of people uh, go astray in this category. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a personal story uh, on that front. Um, and and you know, it's funny. Like you go through life. I've had multiple relationships. Uh, I'm I'm with the best woman ever right now, and uh, and and that's that's not going to change. Um, but it took me a while to get here and I, and I, and I, I, like many other people, uh, kind of stumbled my way through life trying to figure out, you know, what makes a relationship work. And, and, and I had, uh, you know, I had this, you know, this, one of my relationships that I was in, I was with this person and, um, and she was, you know, she was, let me, 
how do I put it? She was kind of difficult, um, difficult for other people to get along with, but she treated me amazingly, which is, which was this really weird disconnect. Cause now I had to, you know, try to understand her from the perspective of other people. I didn't like how she treated other people, but she was wonderful to me. Um, and, and obviously that relationship was, you know, destined to go south because you know how hard you know, how hard is it to be with somebody who's rude to everybody else and uh, and i remember you know one night um i was at a friend mutual friend's party and uh and this uh this other couple showed up and i remember you know sitting there kind of in the in the misery of my own relationship and you know i saw this other woman and she seemed like you know from that vantage point she seemed like the perfect perfect woman she was you know she was uh, she was very attractive um but super nice and bubbly and fun, kind of the life of the party. And, and I remember in, you know, looking at that and saying, oh, geez, if, if only I could have a partner like that, you know, everything would be fine in my relationship. But lo and behold, uh, you know, it was probably half a year or a year later, um, my relationship ended. And, uh, and this woman happened to end the relationship that she was in at exactly the same time, the one that I was idealizing at the party. And we ended up getting together and I ended up dating her for, for geez, around three, three, four years. And, uh, and you know, the funny thing about it was you know, what I saw in that party um, and then what I experienced in the relationship were just kind of diametrically opposed. And it, it <laughs> kind of really painted for me this idea that, you know, the, you know, how, how dangerous the idealization can be. I mean, it wasn't you know, not dangerous, but dangerous in the sense of, you know, managing expectations. Cause I, you know, I thought that I was going to have a perfect relationship. And then lo and behold, you know, once you get past that veneer of the person at the party to the person that you're spending every day with, um, you know, life sets in and, you know, you have to expect that the person is going to be who they are. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately for her, I was stuck with some set of idealizations around who I thought she was and, and how I thought she would be in the relationship. And so I spent, you know, the better part of, you know, probably two to three years really trying to wrestle with my own idealizations and trying to figure out relative to this, this idea of the perfect partner I had, you know, what is the partner, you know, what is a realistic or reasonable set of expectations for a partner? And I, and I never got there in the context of that relationship. And I tried, I tried super hard in the end. Uh, uh, I think at least part of what led to the lack of success in the relationship was my own idealization. Cause I'm pretty sure she must've felt that as well. Um, you know, either in comments or in the way that I acted or, or, or what have you. Yeah. That wouldn't be good on either side, right? As someone holding you to some, to some high standard, uh, that they defined or a standard they defined, um, not, not the one that you take with you. But I think the, to, to your earlier point about the idealization, I think what ends up, ends up happening very often is, you know, the thing that we're missing in our relationship ends up being the thing that we idealize in another. Right. So, um, and it can be from something relatively straightforward to something, um, relatively complicated, right? You know, look, look how she respects, you know, the, in your case, right. The people that she interacts with, boy, that's, you know, that's what's missing for you. Therefore it's so important, but you know, it, not only did you idealize the one component and you not understand the full package, but the other part of it is potentially not in your story, but potentially leaving behind something because of one facet, right? It's, you know, you're in this relationship, you're missing one thing, you find someone with that one thing and you idealize it and you make that the target, you know, yeah. clearly yeah. I, I'm missing, you know, look, these, this, I'm the relationship I'm in, I, I don't get enough sex and over here I could get so much. So I'm going to go over here, but that's, you know, 
what about everything else that you have here versus where you would be going? Yeah. And I think as hard as this is to do, you know, like when you're evaluating, when you're really trying to evaluate what you need in a relationship or whether or not your current relationship's working or not, you got to base that on the truth, right? So and one of the things that that means uh, relative to this idealization example is you got to take people as they are, <clears throat> not how, not how you want them, not how you idealize them and what else, like as they are, you know, warts and all, this is the, this is the person that you're dealing with. Um, you know, and you have to come as you are. I mean, because you know the flip side of this is that is that people people often forget it's much easier to see this in other people when you know the facade doesn't match up with the person. You know, when the um, uh, but the same thing applies to you as well, right? So mm-hmm. so you have to come as you are, just as you have to take them as you are, as they are. You have to you have to come as you are as well into the relationship. Uh, cue Nirvana. Jeez. There we go. Um, so do we have do we have, do we have uh, a licensing for that? Can we? Uh, can we, we can't. We can hum, but we, yeah. but we probably they shouldn't. Uh, we'll lose people. So, so the, so let's go through some 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 don'ts here. And and so this is still in the context of you know should you stay, should you go. So we talked about all the things that you should you know that you should be looking for in the relationship. Is there fit? Is there respect? Is there acceptance? Um, uh, the one thing we'll we'll touch on after this is you know are you willing to go the distance? Um, now I'm thinking that's cake. Sorry, it's another song. Sorry, uh, but uh, but let's go back to the don'ts. So um, don't idealize. Uh, don't compare. Don't measure. There's no. We did the, so I did this in high school. You know, I was young, sixteen. I was trying to figure figure all this out. And so back to the statistics. Uh, my my best friend and I actually came up with a with a rubric, like a chart, to being like, what are all the things we want? And you know, out of, out of you know these girls that that we know, which which has all of these things, and let's score them. Um, and it didn't work. That was like my, one of my first learnings is I don't get it. Like on paper, it makes perfect sense, but it doesn't actually work. And, and the reason is it's just a lot more, a lot more complicated than a set of, uh, a set of things you can compare. I mean, take a look at, you know, dating sites who have tried to create this into a formula for years and, you know, haven't, haven't really had the success they had, they had hoped um, so don't compare, uh, there's, there's, there's one that, um, that's interesting, which is the saving someone fallacy. Yeah. Or fixing someone, if it's, you know, or fixing. Of yeah. Yeah. And, uh, th- this is the, you know, the bit of the hero complex is look, this person they're maybe they're lonely. Maybe they like, you can see the things that need to be done to get, or you think to get them to some happy place and you can be the person to get them there. Um, and you know, if, if the rest of the package is there, terrific. But you know, don't don't be the person that just looks at that one thing because again, you're missing the rest of the, you could be missing the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah. And, and another version of that one, just a I know the story of somebody who rather than saving somebody, so the goal their goal wasn't to save somebody, but they wanted to be the hero in the relationship in the following way. Um, they were involved with somebody, the person had a child, um, and uh, and the relationship progressed to, to you know pretty far along the path and and i guess it was you know it was about to get a bit more serious and uh and and the guy didn't want to go further he was like he was pretty sure that this wasn't a relationship that was going to be successful um but he felt bad felt guilty uh felt like he had a responsibility um because this person you know the, the the other person was you know was a single parent and uh and they they'd already committed so much time so kind of some some of this like sunk cost fallacy like you know in for a penny, in for a pound. You know what I mean, and mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and they stuck it out, uh, and eventually, eventually, they got married. 
And, uh, and it was one of these relationships that, you know, probably would have been better off dying a bit earlier uh, than later because it wasn't founded on the right sorts of things. I mean, you know, staying with somebody because of guilt isn't, you know, also isn't a good thing either. And so I'm not advocating for people leaving their relationships. We're talking about, you know, this self-exploration and, and the work that you need to do before you get there. But there are relationships that are, that, that are better off not happening as well. Exactly. And I think that's, that's exactly where we're going is we're, we're, we're identifying, you know, all of the things that you need to think about. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is a good one to end on, which is, it is quite possible to be more miserable together than you would be alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when, if you do get to the point of having the decision to leave, the decision to leave should always be the decision to be alone not the decision to go to someone else. Um, this is true for jobs. This is true for relationships, right? You you want to um, you want to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, um, not uh, not just a not just a switch. Because again, you're going to get into some of these foul, some of these problems that you have with idealizing some some place you're going. So if if you're if, if you're you're truly miserable, these things don't apply. Very possible you you would be happier alone than miserable together so that's you know that's that's in the realm of possibility don't rule that one out so so one more don't that uh, that you know in thinking about this is um taking your partner for granted uh i think just you know i want to add this to the list because you just got me thinking about this with the with the, with the last one uh and and the reason why it matters um is that you know again a relationship takes a certain amount of effort i mean you know if you want to feel attracted uh, attractive, uh, desired, um, in whatever way that comes across to you, or that's to feel respected or to feel sexually desired or, or what have you, your partner wants the same things, right? And so, so, you know, we talk about there being a certain amount of effort, yes, in a relationship, you know, to get through the tough stuff, to work, to find solutions and whatnot, but also takes some baseline amount of effort to make your partner feel happy. And, and my own view, I think I've, I might've mentioned this on in, in earlier relationships that, you know, when you, if you were to, you know, if you're to like be an alien scientist coming to the planet earth and you're looking at relationships and you're trying to figure out what works, you know, the reality is, is that a relationship, you know, isn't a lot more than just the sum of your interactions on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And if those interactions are good, you're happy. Those interactions are bad. You're unhappy. So if you want to have a good relationship, try to make your partner happy. And if your partner's doing the same thing and you're trying to make each other happy, it's not a recipe to be happy all the time, every day, every minute of every day. But if you're working at trying to make each other happy, chances are you're going to be happy. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've covered um, how to take a look at relationships, why you may be looking at the relationship a little bit differently than you have before and sort of the bits and pieces that you need uh, in a relationship to to ultimately be happy, um, what men need, what women need, which which ultimately, certainly, uh, in a lot of cases, comes down to the same thing, which is you know respect, and good communication. Um, we will touch on uh, cheating uh, in a separate episode because that's going to take a little bit more time, but it's a whole interesting topic on its own, um, sort of why it happens, what it means, uh, and, and sort of the implications of, and, and maybe not necessarily diving into the obvious and, or trying to be, uh, you know, uh, talking to it from, uh, from a soapbox, but, you know, being, uh, being realistic about some of these things. Mm -hmm. So 
in the end, um, you know, things to think about in a relationship, it takes effort. Uh, it takes both of your effort. You should give and receive. That's from friends. Uh, and, uh, uh, but ultimately there's a very legitimate scenario where, um, leaving the situation is better for everyone. Um, that needs to be in the consideration set. Yeah. And I, I, and I think the challenge is to figure out where you're at. I mean, the, the, the reality is, uh, you can leave a relationship kind of whenever you want. I mean, apart from practical constraints, like, you know, needing to find a new apartment, um, uh, interdependencies, like, uh, financial dependencies or children and whatnot. I mean, leaving all those aside, cause yes, they certainly complicate things, but the reality is, is that, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, a, a strained relationship right now, uh, I think step one is, you know, giving yourself a chance to get a, a better diagnosis of your current situation. So, doing some self-evaluation on, you know, your own expectations, you know, your own level of effort and, and thinking about some of the things that we've said, I, I think are, are really valuable considerations uh, to work through before, before making, you know, a decision about, about whether you should stay or should go. Um, but none of that should be a recipe for staying in a really bad relationship either. I mean, you know, and kind of only, only you will know um, the difference. Yeah. All right. Um, well, this is great. Well, thank you everyone for uh, joining us for this episode. We'll uh, throw out another one uh, around cheating, as we had said, that may be interesting uh, to some. So thanks again. If you have any comments uh, or you need to look at the links, uh, you can go to themamclub.com, take a look at our uh, podcast episodes, and you'll find everything you need there. Thank you all very much. Big manly hugs to all. Bye.